Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. It's Halloween season, so obviously we're going to bring you a conversation with the guy, the preeminent horror writer of our time, Stephen King. Less obviously, it's also a conversation with his son, Owen, who he collaborated with back in 2017 to write their book Sleeping Beauties, about a world where women fall asleep and don't wake back up. But first, a mystery thriller that's a little more down-to-earth. Megan Miranda recently published her book The Last to Vanish, about a journalist who disappeared on the Appalachian Trail. Now, I've hiked parts of the AT, and I gotta say, there are times when the sky's kind of gloomy, and it's kind of quiet, and you're just walking and walking and walking, and you hear the crunchy footsteps of someone coming up behind you. It's, you know, kind of scary. NPR's Alyssa Nadwarney joined Miranda on a hike, and they get to talking about, what else, running away in the woods. This message is brought to you by Apple Pay. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the Wallet app, and you're good to go. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. We're in for kind of an adventure today. You're a game? I'm game, yes. Yes, I'm excited. (laughs) We're heading to the trailhead just outside Charlotte, North Carolina, near Megan Miranda's home. Right here, it kind of overlooks a little creek area, which... It's recently rained, so the air is thick, the dark green trees are glistening, and there are patches of mud along the trail. Everything is so green and lush, and you can't really see past, like, 20 feet. It's the kind of place that's become a hallmark of a Megan Miranda thriller. She's written more than a dozen, and nature, the deep woods, a steep trail, a fast-moving waterfall is often a central, sometimes menacing character. You step inside the woods and it feels like like legends can almost be real, right? Like it's a place where things are hidden, but also you can hide and, and it changes so much. So I feel like it's just so great for thriller settings in general too. Growing up, her mom was an avid mystery book reader who brought Miranda to the library once a week. She'd leave holding a stack of books. Nancy Drew was an early favorite, but also Hatchet, Where the Red Fern Grows, Bridge to Terabithia. She says she's always loved books that had an element of wilderness to them. And from an early age, she was fascinated by the idea that nature could be both beautiful and terrifying. My grandparents had this um, cabin in the Poconos, and I used to love to go stay there. And, you know, this was before cell phones, and there was no, you know, phone line. And in the daytime, it was like, this great adventure. And then at nighttime, I would just kind of be like staring out into the night, like what could be out there? The first mysteries she uncovered were in science. She worked in biotech after college. Then she was a high school science teacher when she first moved here to North Carolina. The question of the unknown, the what ifs, drove her to try writing thrillers. What actually scares you? I have an overactive imagination, so I am afraid of many things like (laughs) the woods at night definitely um fear of the unknown i feel like so much of people's fears has to do with the unknown of what can happen she's especially afraid of being alone in the woods feeling vulnerable on edge 
the idea that you hear footsteps behind you and you can't see it and they stop when you stop, like that to me is this terrifying idea. When the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you feel the tension in your shoulders, the sharp focus on just getting to safety. That's the feeling Miranda is trying to capture in her books. Much of where we're hiking is wetlands. We pass a pond filled with frogs. The recent rain has made the path muddy, and I notice Miranda is deep in thought, her writing brain spinning. Spending time in the woods can do that to you. Even right now, I was like, you know, what would this be like to run on when it's a little muddier, right? Wait, so are you always thinking about running away? (laughs) I'm not, but since you asked me the question of what makes me afraid, now I have that on my mind. (laughs) Like, where could I get out of the woods quickly? Getting out of the woods quickly... It's a thing she's been researching. Her latest book, The Last to Vanish, centers around hiking in North Carolina. It's about a town haunted by its past and all the hikers who disappeared there. I was doing a hike just like this, and it had just finished raining, kind of like here. Um, But inside the woods, it still sounded like it was. You know, you're walking and it's falling from the trees still. And I kind of took out my phone right then and started making notes. It reminded me of this idea of like echoes of the past and a town where, you know, everything they're seeing are things that already happened. And I went home and like started writing immediately. That seed of an idea turned into a much more complex web. The main character, a young woman named Abby, is an outsider who moved to the small town a decade ago. She works at the inn at the base of the mountain, the last place so many hikers were seen alive. He arrived at night in the middle of a downpour, the type of conditions more suitable for a disappearance. Back in Miranda's home office, I asked her to read from the new book. I was alone in the lobby, removing the hand-carved walking sticks from the barrel behind the registration desk, replacing them with our stash of sleek navy umbrellas, when someone pushed through one of the double doors at the entrance. The sound of rain cascading over the gutters, the rustle of hiking pants, the screech of wet boots on polished floors. A man stood just inside as the door fell shut behind him, with nothing but a black raincoat and some sob story about his camping plans. Nothing to be afraid of. The weather. A hiker. In this room where she writes, there's elements of the new book everywhere. Leaning against a bookshelf, there are the hiking sticks she and her husband got on a trip to the Smoky Mountains. Hung up around her desk, there are pictures of her and her family hiking. So this is how I write my books. She points to a stack of Excel spreadsheets piled on her desk. I don't have a murder wall. Nope. It's all just on a little piece of paper. (laughs) The spreadsheets have columns with dates and plot points, major turning points. And then this is, this is the last to vanish. And most importantly, lists of clues. I try not to give any spoilers. Um... Here's a clue that a window is left open in a cabin, you know, and I remember writing that and thinking, like, is that something I will use or is that something I won't use? Now, it's not giving away too much, but that open window, it ends up being pretty important. As we're sitting in her office, reading through clues. says There is a piece of glass stuck between her toes. There's blood in the hall, but nowhere else. I can't help thinking back to how Megan Miranda is seemingly afraid of most things. You said you scare really easily. Yes. But you read a lot of thrillers. Right. You write thrillers. I do. Square that for me. Right. I think it's almost a, a not to say a safe way to explore it, but it, it is like you're taking a journey through and you know you're making it through the other side. And mm. 
there is like a comforting element of taking that journey and, and that relief at the end of it. Unlike in life, the murders, the mysteries, they have a resolution, an answer or explanation. It's really the safest way to feel scared. Alyssa Nadworny, NPR News, Davidson, North Carolina. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. Okay, for me, I'm not sure there'd be anything scarier than taking on a long project with my dad. So, shouts out to Owen King, the exceptionally brave son of Stephen King, for pitching an idea for a horror book to his dad. As you hear in this interview from 2017 with NPR's Mary Louise Kelly, they seem to have made it out alive. When Stephen King was a little boy, his mother read him bedtime stories, gruesome bedtime stories. One of the things that she read when uh, I was eight or nine was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. And what I remembered very clearly was that uh, when Dr. Jekyll was Mr. Hyde, uh, he knocked down a little girl and walked over her. And you could hear her bones cracking in her body. And I thought, oh, my God. Kind of makes you wonder if that might have been the moment that set Stephen King on his way to writing horror. He has now written more than 50 books, and here's a twist you might not know. Stephen King's youngest son, Owen, is also a writer, and he too has a childhood memory that helped shape his craft. When I was a kid, we used to play this thing called the writing game with our father. My brother and I would play it where the first person writes a sentence, and the second person writes a sentence, and the third person writes a sentence, and so on, until you get bored and have to go to bed. Now, father and son have now collaborated on a new novel, trying to keep all of us up late into the night. It is called Sleeping Beauties. Owen King pitched the creepy premise of the book to his dad. What if all the women in the world fell asleep and didn't wake up? Owen kind of tossed this thing off, and all my lights came on. You know, they all went from red to green at once. And I thought, this is a situation that demands a story. And if you start, uh, the story will pretty much tell itself. Okay, you've got an idea and you're both excited about it and you both think, huh, that's an interesting question. How does that then translate into co-writing a 700-page novel? What we did was he'd write 25 pages and then I'd write 25 pages. And so we just pass it back and forth. But Uh, one of the things about collaborating with somebody is that you want them to take ownership of what you've written and you want to be able to take ownership of what they've written. So I rewrote him and he rewrote me and I would, I would leave a message for him when it was my turn. And I'd say, okay, I want you to write a scene with this character uh, and I want this to happen. And here's how I I think it will play out. And, you know, just make it as hard as possible for the, for the poor old guy. And, uh, (laughs) and then he would do the same to me. That sounds like that could either be a really exciting way to write or totally leaving little booby traps for each other. Like, you, I can't figure out what's going to happen next, so let me leave a little, hey, Dad, have at it right here, right here, note for him. Well, you know, the thing is, once the story starts to roll, everything becomes story-driven and character-driven so that the major thing that we were doing by leaving those holes in the script was giving us a chance to 
blend our writing together. Uh, if the, if I had a real problem with saying, well, I really don't know what to do here, he would tell me sort of like, uh, well, you could go this way or you could go that way, leaving the choice up to me. Then I did the same for him. And the result was when we were done, the stuff was so interwoven and so rewritten and plowed over It's almost like we created a third person, which could be a horror story in itself. Soen King. (laughs) The (laughs) Soen. I want to um, ask you to read me one passage. There's a woman at the center of this whole mystery sleeping sickness. Um, Let me let let you, Stephen, tell me about her, and then uh, then I want both of you to read this for us. Well, her name's Evie, and... uh, She's the one character in the book that we can assume is a supernatural being. She's very enigmatic, and uh, she's everybody knows that she's something special. So this is this segment about Evie early on in the book. And Evie was almost everywhere. She was a fly in the 767, crawling down to the bottom of a highball glass and dabbling her legs in the residue of whiskey and coke moments before the plane's nose connected with the ocean's surface. The moth that fluttered around the fluorescent bar in the ceiling of Nell, Seeger, and Celia Frode's prison cell was also Evie. She was visiting the Coughlin courthouse behind the grid of the air duct in the corner of the conference room, where she peered through the shiny black eyes of a mouse. On the White House lawn, as an ant, she moved through the still warm blood of a dead teenage girl. In the woods where Jared ran from his pursuers, she was a worm beneath his shoes, nosing in the soil, blind and many-segmented. Evie got around. Hmm. Now I gotta ask, can you two even remember which of you wrote that? No, I cannot remember, to tell you the truth. And you know what, Owen? I think we both wrote that. I think we both wrote that, Our fingerprints are on both of them, Mary Louise. So I'm trying to imagine what comes next for you, too. Aside from book tour, which I know is going to take up the next few weeks, I'm trying to imagine um, Breakfast in the King household, uh, the whole family of writers, and it sounds like the the basic conversation is y'all all all sit around and try to figure out how to scare the living daylights out of each other. I just want to say, for me, the great thing about this experience is that it's very unusual uh, to get to spend the kind of time that we got to spend together to to work on this book. And to me, that was, I'm thrilled with the book. I'm very, very proud of it. But the thing that I liked the most about this was that I got to spend all this time with my dad. Yeah, I thought it was a great gift uh, to work with Owen, to hear him say, uh, yeah, I'd like to... um embark on this project with you. You know, in a lot of ways, writing a novel is like sailing across uh, the Atlantic Ocean in a bathtub. Uh, It's a lonely job, and it's a long job, and I had somebody with me on it, and that was great. And for it to be uh, my son, that was a tremendous gift. You could have ended up wanting to kill each other at the end of trying to write 700 pages, and it sounds like it brought you closer. We'll we'll see if we survive book tour, Mary Louise. (laughs) 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 we'll wish you luck on that that is father and son stephen king and owen king talking about the novel they wrote together it's called sleeping beauties and it is out this week thanks to you both very much thank you very much mary louise thank you so much 
That's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. If you want more, you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter slash books. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. The podcast is produced by Isabella Gomez-Armiento and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Gabriel Donatoff, Ravenna Koenig, Katie Klein, Rina Advani, Isabella Gomez-Armiento, Fernando Naro-Roman, Julie Deppenbrock, Simone Popro, Steve Drummond, Samantha Balaban, Jacob Conrad, and Justin Richmond. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. E-commerce logistics making you question why you started your business. Time to outsource fulfillment to the experts over at ShipBob. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. ShipBob. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.